Hey, welcome back to the Hemisync Podcast. I'm joined today by Don Oscar Miro Quesada. He is a respected Kamasca Curandero from Peru. Um, he's the founder of the, of the Heart of the Healer, the originator of the Pachacuti Mesa tradition of cross-cultural shamanism, an internationally acclaimed shamanic teacher, healer, and earth-honoring ceremonialist, as well as an author. Uh, he has been guiding ethno-spiritual pilgrimages to sacred sites around the world since 1986, with a special emphasis on Peru and Bolivia. Um, and he has a new online course on the Hemisync website called The Power of Ritual, um, Shamanic Healing for Human Transformation. Um, I think there is tremendous, deep Gnostic wisdom in his body of work, and I hope you guys will enjoy it and listen all the way through to get a full taste for it. So yeah, uh, thanks for taking the time. Um, I'm still kind of marinating in the metaphysical miasma of your online course. Um, it really pulled together a lot of things for me. And um, was, you know, my uh, hope in recording this is that it would really avail people of some of the benefits um, of the course um, and of your work. Mm -hmm. uh, so thank you very much for taking the time to do this. Of course, I, I, I also am aware that we have some common friends and uh, it looks like uh, the universe is conspiring so that we do collaborate at some level and, and get the good work out to the world, you know? Yeah, um, I saw on LinkedIn the other day that uh, you were doing a collaboration with, I think, um, Byron Metcalf and Mark Selig, yeah. Andre Hervatin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are, you know, I, 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 I sing my little medicine songs once in a while, and uh, it seems like they enjoyed the ones that were in honor of our plant relatives that I've learned in, in the northern coast of Peru. Yeah, so let's uh, get into that a little bit, because I think it's fair to say people think of you as a Peruvian shaman. Um, but really, your background is quite varied. I mean, you're from Peru, but you were educated um, quite extensively in the States. Um, and you can trace both your personal family history as well as your shamanic lineage back very, very far. Um, so maybe we can just start there. Well, um, I've always considered myself a hybrid of sorts, mm -hmm. uh, an amphibian, because I have grown up, I was born and raised in Peru, yet with a very diverse cultural milieu uh, my father's side of the family were, uh, are a very prestigious scientific and, uh, and cultural force in Peru still. And they were dedicated to journalism. My grandfather was uh, the first person to translate Einstein's theory of quantum and relativity into Spanish and had correspondence with him. My mm -hmm. father's brother was the person who developed Linkos, which was the binary language used in, in uh, Carl Sagan's search for extraterrestrial intelligence that pulses out from the radio telescope in Arecibo uh, uh, in Puerto Rico. Uh, he's a mathematical logician and or was. He passed recently at age 100. And my father was the general director of public health institutes of Peru, which is similar to the Surgeon General in this country. So I come from that very prestigious academic background. Mm -hmm. My father dedicated himself to public health all his life. 
And so when I was born, at about age a year and a half, he was stationed in rural areas of Peru. So my most formative years I spent immersed in our indigenous culture. Growing up the first three years of my life, almost almost four, uh, in between Pucallpa, which is in the central rainforest region of Peru, central eastern rainforest region, in uh, Juarez, which is the northern central highland region, and in Chiclayo, which is the northern coastal region, all within indigenous communities that my father was there to do his work and service in. So I, when I returned to Lima to start my schooling there, I felt really out of place. I was like a, a fish out of water, that's why. And gradually I learned to breathe a little bit and uh, adapt the ways of the Western world. <clears throat> I've always been much more comfortable with the, uh, with the Andean soul, with the runa, the, 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 the people of, the, of, of Peru, rather than the Spanish um, con uh, conquerors, that their, their descendants. That said, Gomez Miró was a colonel in Francisco Pizarro's um, invading army in, in 1532, and uh, he was the first Spanish uh, military to marry a, an Inca princess, a cumbi, that she was like the daughter of Capacupanqui, which mm. was the uh, 15th, uh, the, the, uh, the 11th Inca. So he, he in, that, in that period of time, there was a merging between the Spanish and the uh, direct descendants of the Inca. So mm -hmm. I have a trickle of that blood. But mm -hmm. ultimately, my indigenous roots are based on my sole resonance with the ethos, with the identity, the lived identity of the people of the rural and more um, indigenous uh, communities of Peru. Mm -hmm. So I cannot say that I'm a shaman. I never call myself a shaman. The only mm -hmm. shamans I know are those from the Tungusic Siberian area of Russia. Those are the real samans. Uh, I'm a practitioner, I'm a practitioner of Peruvian camasca curanderismo. Mm -hmm. so, um, and so I'm, I'm very hesitant to define myself as a shaman, although people do that, that regularly. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for that. So mm -hmm. you were educated, um, at least in college in the States, you went to Duke, right? Um, yes. So did your apprenticeship or your initiation into the Andean traditions, the Incan uh, traditions take place after that? You went back to Peru? Is that kind of how it went? No, what happened was the following. Um, if people are interested in knowing the background story, they can read the book Lessons in Courage, hmm. Peruvian Shamanic Wisdom for Everyday Life, co-authored with Bonnie Glass Coffin, an anthropologist from uh, Utah State University, the world's leading expert in Peruvian female uh, folk healers. She is a student of mine, apprenticed deeply in the tradition of the Pachacuti Mesa uh, shamanism that I originated, based on my apprenticeship in Peru with two primary mentors. One from the northern coast that I initiated my studies with when I was 17 years old in 1969, and then another from the outside of the Cusco area, Don Benito Corihuaman Vargas, 
uh, from a place called Wasau that I continued my apprenticeship in the Highland traditions, the Pacocuna traditions. So I blended those, both of these paths. But I began my apprenticeship way before I went to Duke. Okay. I, was a, I, I was a very, uh, uh, a very poor student in school. I barely graduated. And, but you went um, to Duke. I went to Duke. Yeah. But I, that was, I was a late bloomer. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting story, but it's, I don't know, I don't want to bore you or the, your listening audience with those details. Sure. But um, the fact is that I began my apprenticeship with Don Celso, came to this country not having been accepted to any university because of my poor grades, and began to work construction at a, uh, my mother's family. She was uh, at, born in Naples and came to the United States when she was a year and a half. They're Italian in, in origin, and they settled in East Haven, Connecticut. That's why mm. I speak such good English. I grew, <laughs> okay. up, I grew up with that language as well as Spanish and as well as Quechua or Runasimi, the dialect of, of the Andes. Mm -hmm. So um, I came here, worked construction, and during th those times would come, I'd make money, fly back to Peru, continue my apprenticeship with Don Celso, back mm. and forth, back and forth. And then I started to take a couple of night courses, got a couple of grades, went to a junior college before transferring to Duke. Okay. And, and when I started to, I started to really love learning and academic learning and started to blossom in that direction. And fortunately, I also was a rather skilled soccer player. And so Duke gave me a full ride. So that's how I ended up at Duke. That's not to say that I did not benefit from the academic prowess that that school uh, offers its its admission its students, and uh, then from there I went on to do my master's and a post master's at em Emory University, which is also a pretty prestigious university. And some so of that was things in... to give me some credit, Garrett. Right. <laughs> yeah. and some of that postgraduate work was in transpersonal psychology, right? Uh, my master's was in transpersonal clinical, and my uh, my post master's, which is a specialization degree. Uh, in ethnopsychology, okay. Organization of American States. I received, a, I'm a fellow in ethnopsychology with the Organization of American States. Gotcha. And that was at Emory. Mm -hmm. And you also have studied Vedanta, is that correct? Um, I've, I, I've touched into it. Touched on it. Okay. With, with most world wisdom traditions. Yeah, so I'm just trying to set the table here or set the mesa as the case may be. Uh, <laughs> Love uh, so, because your um, teaching really is what you call cross-cultural shamanism. And so I'm just exactly. trying to kind of point where the various influences come from. Like, is there anything else you'd like to offer to kind of fill in that picture? Well, I did um, immerse myself in the Vedantic tradition, uh, primarily through my association uh, with the Divine Light Mission, Hmm. Uh, which I don't know if any of you remember the good old 14-year-old uh, guru called Maharaj, uh, Ma, uh, uh, yes, the, the Maharaji J. Okay. And so I participated in an, in an ashram that they had um, and ended up receiving initiation to that tradition over two years. Rennie Davis from the Chicago 7 was the Mahatma who gave me my, my initiation, believe it or not. Gotcha. He had changed. And uh, so I was at the time uh, doing my uh, associate's degree in microbiology and life science. I was mm -hmm. 
going into medicine at that time okay. and, or pre-med. And so I was at Mitchell College in New London, Connecticut. And that's where I got involved in, in my studies of Hinduism. Mm -hmm. And then I continued that because I have a minor in, in, uh, in comparative religion from Duke University, mm -hmm. a, a major in psychology. And so in, at, in that comparative religion uh, specialization or minor, I also immersed myself in many of the world religions, but mostly Hinduism. Mm -hmm. That was my great, greatest interest, yeah. So that's why you see a lot of the flavor of my teaching, you know, that draws from these other hermetic as well as uh, religious uh, uh, traditions. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so could you please tell us a bit about um, what you call the Pachakuti Mesa tradition, this cross-cultural um, blend of these various wisdom traditions that you've been immersed in? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for the space to do this, my good brother. Um, so, Pachacuti, P-A-C-H-A-K-U-T-I, in Quechua, means world reversal or cosmic transformation. It embodies as a word the intrinsic uh, transformational nature of life everything has cycles of, of change. And so the pre-Columbian peoples of Peru, not just the Inca, pre-Inca, were always uh, attempting to become aligned with that constant flux, with that constant movement of transformation, of change, of evolution, of expansion, and of contraction of that sacred in-breath and out-breath that permeates all of the phenomenal expressions within our known multiverse. And so the Mesa is a operating table. It's basically a control panel, if we could put it that way, that is comprised of various uh, artists, uh, ceremonial artifacts, shamanic power pieces that one either receives on their pilgrimages to sacred sites and they appear out of the earth or they are gifted generationally from one practitioner to another. So most of the uh, artists or the ceremonial uh, shamanic medicine pieces I have have come bestowed to me by both of my primary mentors. Hmm the one representing the north, the one representing the southeast. They embody what's called hampi, which is a spirit medicine. It's the soul of that particular relative, that particular piece. Mm -hmm. And it has a cuenta, a story associated with it, a history. And when you use it, you need to invoke that through prayerful word you need to ceremonially, through artful gesture, also educe its power out from its hiding. And mm -hmm. then you need to go ahead and decree its operational intention, meaning yeah. how it's going to impact the betterment of, a, of an individual, a family, a community, or even the planet as a whole. Right. So you have this configuration of medicine allies in the form of these beautifully ancestral pieces that communicate with you when you enter into a shamanic state of consciousness yeah. and become, in a sense, your allies of what we call the great work, capital G, G capital W. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And that means just knowing how to step out of the way, be a hollow bone, pay attention to, to the ancestors that speak for the people that knew how to walk gently and with beauty on this planet mm -hmm. and um, follow suit. So that I think is what many modern people miss about ritual or ceremony because so much of what we see in the modern world in terms of ceremony, whether it's in you know, the church or Freemasonry, it's lost its kind of inner meaning. So really what you're working with with the Pachacuti Mesa tradition, with, with the altar, is it's a control panel. And not just a control panel, but really a map of the universe, right? A, a map of creation, of all reality. Beautifully put, brother. That's exactly what it is. We call it the, a, a, cosm a vision mm -hmm. made manifest, <laughs> meaning it's not just a, an abstract idea of the way the universe works. Mm -hmm. All the processes, all the, all the pulses, the tonalities, the cycles, the, the movements, both of heaven and that you see expressed in the patterns in the natural world are embodied within the configuration and symmetry of this altar ground mm -hmm. that, the, that the healers of the northern uh, coastal and central highland regions of Peru since 3,500 BC have been using. So yeah. what, what the Pachacuti Mesa is basically is borrowed from a, millennia, a millennial tradition. And it has that morphic field, that morphogenetic resonance that it carries with it. So mm -hmm. it's, it, 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 it has a power that is rarely seen in other, and I, I don't mean to exclude other altar-based practices, but mm -hmm. this is, uh, this has something that um, is very, very ancient and uh, carries a, a, a wealth of um, potential for transforming separation into wholeness, mm -hmm. fear into love, really. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. So if I were to put on my comparative religion hat, and I don't have a, de a degree in it, but a ritual and ceremony, if I were to try to draw analogs, say, in the East Asian tradition, it's something analogous to, say, like Tantra. Does that seem fair? Very fair, yes. Okay. Um, and in terms of getting into the elements, um, so your tradition works a lot with earth, air, water, um, and fire, right? Yes, the earth, water, air, fire, and yeah. the fifth element, which we know is kaipa, which is ether. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. There, are, there are also analogs to other wisdom traditions, such as, you know, like the Golden Dawn, or, you know, traditions that trace, that supposedly trace their ancestry back to, like, ancient Egypt. And all of these supposedly grew up independently, which to me is fascinating. Um, <laughs> And like, I spend a fair amount of time studying Gnostic traditions, and I'm just struck by how this is another example of a similar body of wisdom that has sprung up seemingly separately over the course of thousands of years and has been handed down to us. If, um, if there is such thing as separateness, right? If there's such a thing as separate. <laughs> so I, I'm curious if you have ideas or theories about 
where the commonalities may lie? Well, from my own personal experience and yeah. also from my inherited perspective of my ancestral Kamaska lineage, uh, we've always understood that there is this field of wisdom, of knowledge. Mm -hmm. You could draw parallels with what is called the Akashic field or the collective unconscious from a Jungian perspective, right? Right. That people are able to tap into. It's yeah. the repository of every emotion, every thought, every action that human beings have are done on this planet. And it's right. stored in there. It's the library of Alexandria in the ethers yeah. beyond anything that you could think of that the cloud currently produces. It's yes. something that also calls in from the origins of our, of our universe. We understand that everything is coded in the starlight of the suns that populate the night sky. That's the bottom line. And that it is, those are the, the, those are the channels of information, the light that you see sparkling there. Some of them that have already extinguished in suns, as you well know, that are just reaching us, carry the ability to inform those people that have the tools and techniques to open the veil, to, to mm -hmm. cross the veil, to be able to receive guidance, implement yes. that guidance in the form of ritual action within their altar service, and, you know, better the, the lives of their community. So right. in a nutshell, there's much more to that. Now, we also understand that ritual begets relationship. There are five axioms, my good brother. If you don't mind, I'd like to just say, because this, is, this informs your listening audience as to what's going on with these teachings. Mm -hmm. We understand, first of all, that consciousness is a priori, right? That it begets matter. By begets, I mean it's generative of. So consciousness begets matter, this material world. Then we have language begets reality. Whatever consensus rea reality we say, oh yeah, this is what everybody is experiencing on planet Earth, is a result of the language we use. That's why we, we favor onomatopoeic languages, words that are action words, that are verbs, that are that are going to bring into form a feeling so many of the sounds in the quechua language for instance that we use in our ceremonial invocations evocations and decrees uh, are a living language which calls in the spirit of the ancestors to be present and do the work for us and are not limited by just descriptive or nom nominative uh, uh, rules such as the English language, you know, which are just, you know, descriptive, uh, you know, thing-based languages rather than process languages. So language begets reality. The third, which is which really where it's at for shamanism, is ritual begets relationship. If you notice anything in the natural world is ritualized, everything, the mating processes of many of our species, the, the ways that the geophysical earth uh, managed to find homeostasis, balance, and equilibrium within the shifting tectonic plates is a ritual process that has order, that has pattern to it. This, the movement of the heavens and the skies. Everything is ritual. And what does that mean? It creates relationships. Hmm. 
of coherence, of resonance, of synergy. It creates patterns that are orderly and that bring a sense of balance to an otherwise very entropic and crazy, chaotic uh, 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 universe. And therefore, the fourth principle is this. Nature begets purpose, meaning observe the natural world and you will understand what your purpose is for having incarnated on this planet. And the fourth and the fifth, which is the most important, and all these correspond to the five directions of the Mesa, the four cardinal directions and the central direction. And I'll get to that in a moment. And the fifth most important one is love begets life. So we understand that love as a force of unification between self and other, between spirit and matter, between soul and creation. That is all a process of love. So everything that we do as healers is a labor of love. And that is what gestates and gives birth to life as we know it on this earth and the various different diverse expressions of it in other planets that are mm -hmm. soon to be discovered. So that, that's how it works, brother. That is beautiful <laughs> and profound. Um, I mean, I just want to kind of highlight for people how deep this wisdom is. And, you know, not too long ago, you would have had to travel to the ends of the earth to get this type of teaching. Assuming, you, you know, you've, you've even find a teacher such as Don Oscar, such as yourself. Um, if, can, you, can you talk a bit about how you use the various elements in terms of how they interact with each other to bring about transformation, to bring about healing? Because that is really kind of the inner alchemy that, you know, many of the great wisdom traditions have kind of referenced maybe, you know, obliquely, it was kind of a secret, you know, it was, it was hidden. It's the philosopher's stone. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Certainly. So within the um, cosmovision of the Pachacuti Mesa altar ground, you have south, west, north, east and center that move in a spiral nature, in a clockwise spiral nature from south and then it kind of curves in forming a nautilus shape like the Fibonacci uh, numerical sequence that is replicated in that golden spiral. So that's the movement that you understand within the elements. In the south you have the earth element which is expressed as a solid state of matter. In the West, you have the water element, which is expressed as a liquid state of matter. And we understand matter not as atomic particles, but as wave and of, as vibration and frequency. So from the, the liquid in the water in the, in the West, you go to the North, which is air, that element, which is the gaseous state of matter. And then you go to fire, which is the plasmic state of matter, and then inward to ether, which is the Higgs boson condensate state of matter, or that dark matter, that dark energy that comprises 68.9% of our known our, our universe that is not known. But that's the great ether that the alchemists 
that the great Gnostic philosophers of old were so fond of tapping into. Mm. So you have the movement, the, the ceremonial movement that occurs in that clockwise fashion around the altar ground known as the Pachacuti Mesa elicits this progressively more refined vibratory expression that impacts the solidity of one's experience as a body. So mm. by carefully using each of the medicines of the direction through ritual gesture and other means, you are able to, to mold one's makeup, given yep. that, in fact, we are, our bodies are, are really illusions. We're mostly built of space. But yeah, you're, you're basically changing frequency. Frequent, exactly. So, we, for, so the South is for healing physical ailments, because that's the earth. The West is for healing emotional conditions that are, that are challenging because that's, you know, the West, water, grandmother, moon. The North is for healing spiritual disalignments, mm -hmm. air. The East is for he healing psychological or mental challenges. That's fire. And the center is for helping restore soul loss or engaging a more full soul mm -hmm. presence on planet. You know, in the time we have, that's as best as I can describe what's going on, my good friend. That was excellent. Um, and thank you for that. Um, and so just kind of quickly circling back to the previous line of inquiry, um, you know, it certainly is possible that this wisdom is all handed down from a non-physical source, you know, the ultimate source, uh, the original cloud. Um, in fact, <laughs> you know, traditions such as Dzogchen hold that many of their teachings were transmitted non-physical, totally possible. I guess what I'm intrigued by is, you know, one of the spirits that are invoked in, in your tradition is uh, Viracocha, which is something like the original kind of God-man of the native peoples of the Americas, right? And he is often depicted as kind of a person with a beard who appears to, to be of European descent um, you know, the work of Graham Hancock talks a lot about this figure as being sort of a link between an ancient advanced civilization that seeded many of these um, wisdom traditions. And so I guess I'm wondering if there might also be a physical link. Um, and sort of added further to that, you know, the name of your website is the Heart of a Healer, the acronym Thoth, um, who was, of course, the thrice great godman of the ancient Egyptians, also known as Hermes Primagestus, which also kind of hints at something. And I, I'm just wondering what else might be there. <laughs> oh, you, you really want to pull the cover off, don't you? I, I do, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, woof. man, this is a loaded one. Okay. Yeah. Where do I start? Um, Okay, let's say there's a, 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 a primeval, primordial originating source of everything that, that we'll give it temporarily the name called Pachakamak. So in, in short, Wiracocha, okay? okay? In short, Wiracocha. Wiracocha is the um, originating mystery, mm -hmm. the great originating mystery. It's neither female nor male. A lot of people mistake this. A lot of people think that Wiracocha 
is this, you know, white bearded Christ-like figure that appeared like it does in the great murals in, in, in the uh, Mormon tabernacle in Salt Lake City that visited the Americas. That's not really the case. The only reason there's been an association with this more Eurocentric image is because of, uh, uh, of the Spanish conquest. And mm -hmm. the, the indigenous people at the time, the descendants of the Inca, knew that the only way they could practice their ancestral arts was to use the Catholic saints and also the biblical historical figures mm -hmm. as fronts, mm -hmm. as screens to be able to invoke the powers of their apus, of their mountain deities, mm -hmm. of their mayus, of their rivers. But really, that was just a, a, a front. So what I'm saying is that there's, there's not this universal um, culture hero in the form of this Christ being that all of the Americas have referred to before the conquest. Before the conquest, there were other creator, creator gods, other originating mysteries that had give, been given anthropomorphic form uh, because that's how humans could relate to them. And there are legends of people coming from across the seas, both the physical earthly seas and the heavenly seas. Mm -hmm. So there are all these myths of creation, stories of origin in the pre-Columbian peoples way before the Inca, the peoples of which the Pachacuti Mesa originated from, that speak of visitation from our star relatives, that speak of visitors that came across from the Asiatic peninsula, uh, uh, continent across the oceans and settled in the coasts of Peru and brought the knowledge. And my feeling is that there were some great Taoist sages that came into the Americas, especially in Peru in those times, the physiognomy yeah. and the descript. There's too many parallels when it comes to the to the artistic representation of the of the Shang dynasty, for instance, and those of some of the the uh, extraordinary ceramics of the Chavin and, and Kupishnike culture, for instance. It, the parallels are extraordinary. Yeah. And, and so, and then we have these incredible uh, myths that speak about the pre-Inca people coming down as children from star beings, much like what is talked about in the Sumerian Epic of Gilgamesh, for instance. Yeah similar types of parallels. So in answering your question, I'd like to just make, make clear that I refrain from trying to become too um, integrative and present just one source of where this comes from. Yeah. I, I, I subscribe to an imaginal world in which the pleroma of the great alchemists uh, that you understand the pleroma, the fullness of it, the yeah. shunyata that Buddhists talk about, that that is where it lies. Yeah. And depending on one soul's need, that, that source will show that soul what it can best embody to help the awakening of other souls in this great turning that we're experiencing, this great pachakuti that we are currently experiencing on planet. Beautiful. That was a great answer. Uh, thanks for that. 
Um, and you touched upon the imaginal realms. And so I'm wondering if I could just kind of briefly kind of segue into that. You went through many of your initiations around the time where, you know, Carlos Castaneda was becoming a big thing. Just curious if you have any impressions of his work, of his books, were you influenced by them? What do you think of them? You're not going to believe this, mm. but I read one of his books of the many and one. never finished reading it. Okay. <laughs> I do know about him because I've been in circles. I've been in, in seminars and panel discussions with people that uh, all except myself were very well versed in his, in his writings. Uh-huh. And, and plus, he, he believe it, he was from Peru, he was Peruvian, but he rarely says he was. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was he was Peruvian, Carlos Castaneda, but people thought he was from Mexico. Mm. You know, and toward the end of his life, he started to develop this tensegrity, these movements yes. that were very much like Qigong or Tai Chi. Yeah. Uh, yet weird. I call him told, and he was calling them Toltec. Yeah. But once he started doing that, I started to kind of, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess the one thing that I wanted to ask you about, you know, in his work, he often goes into these non-physical realms where he literally is some sort of a threat, like not only to his non-physical being, but his own travel. And I know quite a lot of other people that have explored the non-physical. Nobody else has ever echoed that. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that. Well, you broke up a little bit there, but I feel oh, I think I, I got the gist of it. Yeah. Let me, let me before I, I, I answer that, um, I, I have the highest respect for Castaneda. Mm. He did more to popularize shamanism than, than Mircea Eliade did mm. from the University of Chicago, more than Michael Harner did. So yeah. he, he brought shamanism into mainstream consciousness, and I thank him very much for this. Yeah. Whether they are f- factual accounts of his own initiation uh, with uh, Don Juan or not, mm-hmm. to me is secondary to the fact that he had tuned into that imaginal archetypal realm Mm-hmm. at a level that allowed him to creatively articulate it in a manner that inspired other peoples to explore these non-ordinary states of awareness. Yeah. To be able to say, yes, we are composed of much more than just our five sensorial three-dimensional conditioning. Yeah. And, and in a way, that's a good contribution, and I thank Castaneda for that. Um, when it comes to my own experience with realms of consciousness, with different energy dimensions, uh, I personally, the only time I have felt threatened in my navigating through these realms is when I started out with a fear, that I started out with some reticence, when I wasn't well prepared, when I didn't do my purification before time, when I didn't do the work required to engage at that level of communion with an otherworldly dimension. Yeah. When, when, because the energies can get pretty wild and pretty unpredictable in these places, mm-hmm. as you well know. And I'm talking not just 
uh, facilitated through the sacramental use of our plant relatives. I'm talking through classic out-of-body type of work, through, yeah. you know, things of that nature. Exactly. So, you know, and, and, but personally, you know, I've never felt like I had to be holding on to the silver cord. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you for that. That um, that that fits. Okay. Um, if I could just close by asking you, what is your take on what is happening with Mother Earth right now at this most unusual time? <sighs> mm. Pachamama has long overdue in a rite of passage of this magnitude. Many times in the past, there have been moments of great transition, both geophysically and both ecologically, and in terms of widespread biological extinction. Never before, as you well know, has it been caused by the Anthropocene, by the people, by the self-reflection, free will, gifted beings, these two-leggeds that we call ourselves. Never before has it been the result of such short-sighted human presence on this planet. So my take on this, my brother, is that it's necessary. And that it's great opportunity for many of us, not all of us, many of us, to deepen our service work in the world without attachment to outcome, but just refine our love expressed through caring and through sacred presence as the children of the earth that hear her cries and hear her calls. That's my take. 
Thank you so much, Don Oscar. Thank you for your time. And I hope all of you will check out Don Oscar in his online course, The Power of Ritual. Um, hopefully you found this useful. Share it up if you did. Uh, leave a comment, give us a like. We'll uh, try to get back to you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Garrett. Appreciated spending time with you. I like your vibe. Thank you. Likewise. <laughs> Until next time, I hope. Until next time. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching. If you'd like to see more Hemisync podcasts, such as Episode 8 with Dean Radin, podcasts that aren't necessarily associated with any particular Hemisync product, but simply feature fascinating guests and subjects associated with the frontiers of consciousness research and understanding, please consider joining our exclusive Patreon page and get some great discounts on Hemisync products in the bargain. Thanks for watching.